Now today we're going to look together to Romans chapter 5 and we're going to begin with verse number 6, Romans chapter 5. Last week Brother Jay was speaking and he was talking about that we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access through faith uh, to him and uh, that God gives us hope and that hope strengthens us even in the difficulties and the hardships we're able to stand strong because of the hope that we have and it never disappoints us and it never lets us down and in verse number five it's very similar to what we just sang just a moment ago this hope will not disappoint us because God's love's been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us so Paul is saying that the Lord has given us faith and this faith is in God and it brings peace with God and we experience the grace of God and it gives us strength to stand and we can exult in our trials and tribulations and hardships because we know that God is working all things together for our good and that the love of God is poured out, floods in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. He is in us. Tell your neighbor, he is in us. He is with us. Tell him, he is with us. And tell your neighbor, he is for us. He is for us. God is sovereign and wise and good, and he never leaves you alone. Last week in Zatomer, Ukraine, believers gathered in a basement church and they lifted their voices and sang glory to God in the midst of their city being bombed. How could they do such a thing? It's the work of the Holy Spirit poured out in their hearts. Amen? Yes. But today we're going to look at the demonstration of God's love, not only this subjective internal working of God in us but but Paul points to another thing that clearly helps us to know that God loves us and he points back to the cross of Christ he gives us confident faith you see he's in me and with me and working my, for my sanctification his love is love is flooding me with hope but he is for me. And Paul points back to the cross and says he died for me. When I deserved his judgment, his love was greater than my sin. That he has loved me and it's indisputable the love of God that he has for us. There's no shame, but there's hope because his love is spread abroad in our hearts. Sometimes the apostle Paul has been characterized and thought of as being argumentative, pugnacious, strong, opinionated, but the Apostle John, the John, the gospel of, he is, he is the apostle of love, right? But the Greek word for love, agape, is 75 times found in the writing of Paul in the 116 times that it's in the New Testament and nine times in Romans. He's reminding us of the love of God. 
because that was a motivating factor in Christian living, the love of God. Listen, when you know God loves you, whatever you're facing in your life, you can stand with hope because of the love of God. Now today, number one, we want to look at our text. Notice in chapter number five, beginning today with verse number six, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. So as Paul is writing, he says, while we were still helpless, he said we were disabled and helpless, but at the right time, Christ died. Who did he die for? Ungodly people. For us, the ungodly. He talks about it in verse number seven. He says, rarely will somebody die for a just person. He says, you know, there are people that are very righteous and just and they keep all the laws and they're persnickety about following all of the rules. And that is a just person. He said, notice what he says. And he says, rarely would somebody die, even though they are a very rule follower. They're not an evil person like some others, yet rarely would somebody die for such a person. And then he goes on, and even for a good person, he, I don't know what the difference is between good and righteous, but maybe it's this, it's kind and warm-hearted, and not only a rule follower, but there's a real warmth about his character and kindness that he shows to you. He said, perhaps someone would dare to die for that kind of person. But what he's trying to really show is, but look at the love of God. For God proves his own, his own love for us. And while we were still, what? Sinners, Christ died for who? For us. That's God's love for us. So the question, uh, two or three questions I want us to consider today. Number one, when did Christ die? Verse number six, while we were still helpless. And that's the first point. When we were helpless, when we had no ability to help myself, no ability to help ourselves, no ability to change my condition. I was helpless, I was hopeless, and I could not change my condition. This is exactly what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. Look with me. To Ephesians chapter number, well, I have it on the screen, I think. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There's nothing more helpless than being dead. <laughs> you can't help yourself if you're dead, right? And in your sins and your trespasses, you were dead. How many in this room are sinners? Raise your hand. The rest of you just lying. We're all sinners. So that means you're dead. The wages of sin is death. You cannot raise yourself from death. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
There's none right, no, not even one. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 5 said, He made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. God did the work. He made you alive. Not only were you helpless, you were hopeless. In chapter number 2, tell your neighbor, you're hopeless. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, the cravings and the desires of our sinful flesh was ruling the day. We were sons of disobedience. We were held captive by our thoughts and our inclinations, and we were children of wrath. We were influenced by the evil forces around us, and you were hopeless. In chapter 2, verse number 12, it says of Ephesians, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope without God in the world. You had no hope. Separate, excluded, strangers, and without God. In the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter, it's an interesting story about a hopeless and helpless seemingly situation Jesus tells his disciples we need to go back to Judea. When he goes to Judea, he usually stays in Bethany at the house of a family who is near and dear to him. The man of the family is named Lazarus and two sisters, Mary and Martha. And he says, our brother Lazarus has fallen asleep. The disciples said, they, sometimes they're just clueless. They said, well, if you've fallen asleep, he's going to wake up. He said, no, he's dead. They make their way. When they get there, his brother had been, their brother had been dead for four days. Martha comes out to meet him just outside of the little village. And she said, no, Lord, I know if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus reminds her, your brother will rise again. He says, your brother is going to live again. She goes, well, I know on the last day he'll live again. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, even if he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will live even if he dies. Mary, the other sister, makes her way out to where Jesus is and her sister Martha. And she says again the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I know that. They knew that Jesus had the power to heal, but the power to raise from the dead. Jesus saw all of those who were weeping and the sister's grief and brokenness and the power of sin that's ruled over mankind's life. And he said, show me where you laid him. And he wept. I love that song a while ago that we just sang. We have a God that weeps, and a God that suffers, and a God that knows. 
And there he was laid in a tomb and there was a stone in front of it. And Jesus said, why don't you move the stone out of the way? One of the sisters said to the Lord, <laughs> it's already been four days. He's decomposing. He stinks. This is an impossible, hopeless situation. He said, move the stone. And with a loud voice, he said, Lazarus, come out. <laughs> and guess what happened? He rose from the dead. How many of y'all believe that happened? Man. Somebody said if he hadn't said his first name, all the tombs would have emptied. <laughs> Wasn't because he said, it was a loud voice, by the way. I think he said it with a loud voice, not because Lazarus was hard of hearing. He wasn't hard of hearing. He's dead. It wasn't a loud voice because it wasn't the power of his, the DBs that his voice produced. He could have whispered it because the authority is in his. I just think he wanted everybody else to know Amen. who was the resurrection and the life. Amen. That's what you were. You were dead and you were buried and you were hopeless and you couldn't raise yourself. But God saved you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. While we were sinners, it says, when did Christ die? We were helpless and we were hopeless. And he says, while we were still sinners, when you weren't living morally right, when you were disobedient, when you were rebellious, when you were indulgent in your sins, and when you were lawbreakers, even while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. God demonstrated his love for you, and while you were yet sinner, Christ died for you. Not only that, when we were enemies. Notice what it says in chapter 5, verse number 10. He said, while we were enemies. It says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. You're not only a sinner, you're not only helpless, you're not only hopeless. You were hostile against him. You were opposed to him. And that opposition, you thumbed your nose at God and you said, God, I don't care what you want. I don't care who you think you are. I'm going to live how I want to live. And that's the spirit of the age in which we live. I will do what I want to do. I don't care about this book. I don't care about authority. I don't care about God. I am who I say I am. No, you're not. There's only one I am. And it's not you. It's him. Hmm. God is opposed to the proud. You're not only enemies against God, but God is opposed to you. Now listen, if God be for us, who can be against us? But, but God be against us. 
Woo, we're in big trouble. But while we were enemies, when you reject God, reject his truth, reject his authority, Christ died for you. Not only when did Christ die, answer the question, at the right time, Christ died. He says at the right time. Notice what he says in chapter number five. In verse number six, and while we were still helpless at the right time, at God's appointed time. Paul says in Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time. In the time came to completion. God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law. It was intentional in the time when Jesus came. The New Testament uses two different words for time. One is the Greek word chronos. That would be like the time on your watch, the time related to the calendar, the time. What time is it? This word is the word kairos in a fullness and the completion of the right time. Jesus' death was exactly on God's timetable, God's purposeful work of salvation. The prophecies given by Isaiah and others were fulfilled at the right time. At just the right time, God sends the angel to Joseph and tells him to take Mary to be his wife. At just the right time, God sends an angel to Mary and says, you're going to conceive and bear a son who will be a savior. At just the right time, God hovers over Mary and there's a miraculous conception. At just the right time, God was working to fulfill his promise. It was ordained by God. Secondly, second question to consider is, for what kind of people did Christ die? We've already hinted at it, haven't we? First of all, for the ungodly, it says in verse number six, the second part of the verse, he came for ungodly people. Aren't you glad? He came for the ungodly. In Romans chapter four, in verse number 25, says he was delivered up for our Whose trans, trespasses? Our trespasses. And raised for what? Our justification. Jesus came for sinners. In Ephesians 5 verse 2 it says, We've obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In Romans 5.2. In Ephesians 5.2, listen to what he says. He gave himself up for us. He died for us and our sins. Listen, I don't know how, what kind of sin you've committed in your life. But Christ came for sinners. He came for the ungodly. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. If you have your Bible... Look with me to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 11. Do you not know the unrighteous, the ungodly, will not inherit God's kingdom? Now stay with me. Do not be deceived. Now listen. No sexually immoral people 
idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, nor thieves, nor greedy people, nor drunkards, nor verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Does that make you feel happy? Not really, because I know I'm in that group. It's anybody that sins sexually, anybody who sinned in their worship and have other idols, anybody who sins with their speech in tearing down others, hurting others, anybody who sinned in their marriage vows, anybody who sinned in their relationships, anybody that uses people for their own advantages, anybody who sinners in their sinner in their cravings. I think that pretty much covers all of us. You see, we are all ungodly and we're all sinners. But notice verse number 11. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah, God came to save the ungodly. Amen. He washed us, and he alone atones our sin and cleanses us and makes us right with God. Hmm. He came for his enemies. I think it's interesting that Paul says that we were enemies. I guess if there's somebody that was opposed to God and an enemy of Christ, it was, the, it was Saul of Tarsus. Saul was opposed to the church, persecuted the church, hated the gospel, hated the message, hated the people was trying to snuff them out, and he was an enemy. When he's confronted on the Damascus road, what does the Lord say to him? Saul, Saul, why persecutest whom? Thou who? Me. Why do you persecute me? When Saul was persecuting the church, he was perse- and God's people was perse- persecuting the Lord himself. He was an enemy. In Romans chapter 11, verse number 28, Paul's argument there is that even the Jews who've rejected the gospel have now become enemies and they're opposed, yet there will be a turning back, he sees. Notice in Romans chapter 11, verse number 28, regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage, for the Gentiles, but regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Notice in verse number 32, for God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he might have mercy on all. Amen. He's for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. I want you to listen close. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Everything's from God, who's reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has reconciled us to himself through Christ. 
Notice in verse number 19, that is, in Christ, who was doing this, God was reconciling the world to himself. When we were enemies, God took the initiative through Jesus Christ, and God showed his love for us, and God reconciled sinful, ungodly men, his enemies, to himself in Christ. Not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. He is the peacemaker. How did he do it? He did it in his son. Verse 21 says, He made him who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, we are all rebellious and enemies. But today I'm asking you, listen to me. Don't be an enemy of God. Don't stiffen your neck. Don't harden your heart. Don't deceive yourself. Don't call others to join you in your insurrection against God. But understand God loves you. Christ died for you. Whatever sins you've committed, whatever sins you've committed in your life, understand God loves you. His grace can cover your sin, but don't stand in your rebellion. But turn from sin and turn to God. Christ died that you might be reconciled to God. Come with me. Come with me to Calvary. Come to me at the crucifixion scene. Watch with me. They're wagging their heads. They're spitting. They're hurling insults. He saved others. Let's see him save himself. He made himself out to be the son of God. Cursing, hating, jeering, applauding with every nail, with every drop of blood, with every labored breath. And look at the prince of glory. And he looks at you. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's God's great love for us. Why did he die? Next question to consider is why did he die? For what purpose did he die? Back with me to the text. In chapter number five again, notice with me in verse number eight, but God demonstrated, God proved his own love for us. God showed his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, what Christ did, what died for us. You see, God was demonstrating powerfully and undeniably his proof of his love for us. 
you can't deny his love. You can deny all kinds of things, but you cannot deny that God loves you. I hate it when I hear people say, well, God doesn't really love me because, because you didn't get a certain job. God doesn't really love me. He didn't give me that job. God doesn't really love me. That girlfriend doesn't like me. How immature, how stupid, how short-sighted. What more could he have done? He sent his son who died for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, greater loveth no man than this than one laid down his life for his friends. Christ died for you. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Listen, he loved me. He loved me. He loved me. And delivered himself up for me. Do you get it? He loves you. Why did Christ come to save us from the wrath of a holy God that we rightly deserve? In chapter 5, verse 9, he says, How much more then, since we have been justified from his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. We rightly deserve the wrath of God, the judgment of God. All of us have sinned. Just to illustrate, to illustrate this, I want you to just think with me for a moment. Let's suppose that you, you, it's you, and you are arrested, you are convicted, you're a criminal, and you are. There's outstanding certificates of your offenses, judgments that are against you, warrants against you and every secret of your heart is known all your rebellion all the ugliness of your sin and you're imprisoned you can't you're shackled and in prison and you're condemned waiting for sure execution and they come and open up the cell and the chains are jangling as you make your way down the corridor, out into the sunlight. And there before the judgment of God. And all of your sin is known, all of it. And you're condemned. And there is an instrument of execution. It's not a gallows. It's not an electric chair or a gas chamber or a firing squad, but it's a Roman execution. It's a cross. And you're bearing all of these certificates and warrants and the judges and the authorities have them there in documents against you. 
and I deserve to die. And the God on the throne says, the sentence is death. And I have no appeal. And just before you're taken to the instrument of death, it's you now, it's you. One rises. And it's this prince of heaven, the second person of the Godhead. And he steps forward and all the angels and authorities rustle and look what is happening. And the author of creation lays aside his regal robes and girds himself like a servant. And he walks over to you and he washes your feet and he kisses your cheek and he says, I love you. And all of the warrants and all the certificates and all of the judgments are nailed on a cross and you are unshackled as you watch and he lays on the cross and they drive the nails in his hand and his side is pierced and his feet are punctured and his blood flows profusely and he dies and his blood streams over all of those outstanding warrants against you. And they're paid in full. Wow. That's God's great love for you. I'm going to quote from a hymn. And you say, Brother Tim, you've made this very personal. I want you to look at this poem with me and see how personal it is. I see the crowd in Pilate's hall. I mark their wrathful mien. Their shouts of crucify a Paul with blasphemy between. And of that shouting multitude, I feel that I am one. And in that den of voices rude, I recognize my own. I see the scourges tear his back. I see the piercing crown. And of that crowd who smite and mock, I feel that I am one. Around yon cross the throng I see, mocking the sufferer's groan. Yet still my voice, it seems to be as if I mocked alone. Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. 
I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. Yet, not the less, that blood avails to cleanse away my sin. And not the less, that cross prevails to give me peace within. Christ died for you. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Well, that brings us to the final point. For whom did Christ die? He died for us. God demonstrated his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's for all who believe. It's for all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are justified by him, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1. We've obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. Amen. We are saved by grace through faith that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. In Romans chapter 4, verse 16, this is why the promise is by faith so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants. You're saved by God's good grace, God's love. It's for all who believe. He says he died for us. Paul's writing to Jews and Gentiles in Rome, and he says to both the Jews and the Gentiles, he says he died for us, for us, who have our faith and trust in Christ. But it's also for all who believe, every tongue and tribe of people, male and female. That's what Paul says. Notice with me in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. He says, For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are baptized in Christ Jesus have been clothed with Christ for there's no Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus came for all who believe and trust in him. So let me ask you a question. Did Christ die for you? Let me ask you again. Did Christ die for you? I want you to tell your neighbor Christ died for you. Now I want you to tell him this. Christ died for me. Now listen, the, the atoning work of Christ is only applied to those who believe. Amen. Take away questions to consider today. Number one, when did Christ die? Number two, why did he die? Number three, how do you know for certain God loves you? Number four, are you trusting him alone? And number five, what is hindering you from trusting in Jesus? This whole passage is written by the apostle to help us to see the beauty of the cross and the wondrous grace of God's love. Today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a moment. And when we take the Lord's Supper, it's reminding us 
of the great love of God that was demonstrated powerfully in the death of Jesus Christ for all of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you now in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray that today they might turn from sin and trust in Christ. Father, I know that it's so easy to be distracted about a million things today. And so often we just want to be entertained. But I pray that this would be a very somber moment that we're confronted with the fact that Christ died for us. And that our only hope is putting our faith and trust in him. I pray that today we would be confronted that you love us. And that that love compels us to live for you. Oh, Father, have your way in our lives. May we today, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.